Brett can you believe it? The Wellness Summit is almost here. Oh, I'm P. I'm so excited. I don't know what to do with myself. Well, Brett it's been two long years since our last Wellness Summit. And if you're listening to this, folks, and don't have a ticket, then... What are you doing? The Wellness Couch family of podcasters gather for two days in Melbourne on Saturday, August 25 and 26, featuring... The Queen of Nutrition, Cindy O'Meara. The rock star of wellness, Dr. Damien Christophe. Connect with your spirit and soul with Barley Bomb survivor, Karen Smith. Self-care is on the menu with Kim Morrison. Master the art of ageing well with the one and only Marcus Pierce. Oh, shucks, Bretto. What about how to recover from rock bottom with Dr. Brett Hill? Master your stress with Dr. Maria Jushman. Get empowered with Imogen Bailey. Female health experts Dr. Andrea Huddleston and Ashley Bond. Master your sleep with Audra Starkey. The natural nutritionist Steph Lowe. Australian Idol winner, Wes Carr. Woohoo! And Quirky Cooking's Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab and a whole lot more. Oh, what a lineup, MP. Seriously, why would you not be coming to the Wellness Summit? Not to mention our world-class exhibition of Australia's most incredible, sustainable wellness products and services. MP, we've done the final layout. There are less than 100 spaces left. And there's only a few discounted tickets available at thewellnesssummit.com. Marcus, be there or be square. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the 2018 Wellness Summit, Saturday, August 25 and 26 at the Collingwood Town Hall. Getting quick, folks. The final release of discounted tickets available at thewellnesssummit.com. See you there, Bretto. The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness and optimising your health, metabolism and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 186 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by our regular guest, Dr. Damien Christoph. In today's episode, Damo and I discuss the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system and the intricate dance between the two, our environment, and the time of day. 
you will learn the importance of the fight or flight response, but also what can happen when this is out of balance. We also explore the significance of this entire system for natural energy, efficient digestion, managing cravings, improving sleep quality, and so much more. Hello, Damo. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Steph. Thanks so much for having me back. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back with you sharing uh, knowledge and wisdom. Absolutely. We've had some really great responses to a couple of your previous episodes, and I'm really looking forward to today's topic, talking about the nervous system, but in particular, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So mm-hmm. I'd love to just dive straight in and give you the opportunity to define these terms for us, please. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks. It's actually a topic that's really dear to my heart. And obviously people know me from talking about the gut and all that sort of thing. But as a chiropractor, I love talking about the nervous system. And in the nervous system, um, let's just start with what it actually encompasses first. The brain is the central point of the nervous system. In fact, the brain controls everything within the body. And it's interesting because from an embryological standpoint, or from the embryological point, when we first are conceived, in the first 21 days, our brain and our gut, the ends, I suppose the ends, the two top and tail ends of the nervous system are formed within the first 21 days. And so then from those two, I suppose, big bundles of nerve fibres where the chemicals and the, and the control of the, the existence of the human body stems from, the brain takes on the role of, I suppose, governing all function and the gut takes on the role of ensuring that all function is given all the nutrition is required, if that makes sense. And so that then forms, I suppose, the basis for what's known as the autonomic nervous system. So that's the automatic nervous system. But in order for everything else to function, there's another part of the nervous system that runs off the spinal cord. Uh, called the peripheral or the the somatic nervous system. And the somatic nervous system is the, the nervous system that we feel. So for today's purposes, we're going to talk about the part of the nervous system that is the autonomic nervous system. So we're essentially talking about the gut and the brain and the connection between the gut and the brain. And that's broken into two parts, the somatic, oh, sorry, the, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is the nervous system um, that speeds things up, so except for in some areas. But essentially, just think about the sympathetic nervous system. It essentially speeds things up. And the parasympathetic nervous system slows things down. So we like to call the sympathetic nervous system the part of the nervous system that's associated with the fight-or-flight response. And then the parasympathetic nervous system is known or associated with rest, digest, and repair. And so there's an expectation that uh, when you switch between these two different parts of the nervous system, um, the, the body performs different functions um, with with a relevance or an importance and a focus on those functions that require that part of the nervous system to fire up. So we'll dive down into all of that as we go, but that's the overarching summary of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, um, I, I suppose, to start the, the conversation off, Steph. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is really important to separate it into that fight or flight, which is the sympathetic nervous system. And we might talk about, you know, how that was relevant back in the day um, versus the parasympathetic nervous system, which is technically rest and digest, or as you say, repair as well. So they're quite different functions. They're actually almost opposite, would you say? 
They are, they are, and they're complementary opposites. It's much mm-hmm. like love, you know, like love is the coming together of two people that are complementary opposites or two things that are complementary opposites, and that's how things continue to get built. And, and we build through challenge and we build through rest. And so if, for example, and you know this very well, Steph, when you go and exercise, you tear muscles, you um, do little fractures to bones, and each of those little things that we do continues to strengthen our body, and it's the same. So we want to ebb and flow between sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system responses based on the shifts and changes of our environment and based on different times of the day. So in the morning, for example, we definitely want to wake up having a sympathetic response. We don't necessarily want to wake up with a fright or a, you know, the, the need to run away, particularly if we're you know, waking up in a pleasant environment with people that we love. We want to be able to wake up with at least some energy to get us going, to kick us off. And that's, that's known as a sympathetic um, nervous system response that, that's important to get us out of trouble to kickstart us and to get things going so we want a sympathetic response and then on the other end of the day you know at various times for the day particularly when we're eating so you know breakfast if we're, if we're breaking our fast at breakfast time or if we're eating at lunchtime if you're doing intermittent fasting and, and your first meal is later in the day and then if you if you move then into dinner each of those times should signal some degree of parasympathetic response because at that point in time we wanted to uh, digest our food we want to rest while we're digesting and then that food then needs to be absorbed and we don't really want to fire off our sympathetic nervous system while we're trying to trying to digest because we're going to miss out on opportunities to absorb the nutrients that we require to keep our body you know not only hydrated but repairing at the same time yeah absolutely and that's a huge issue and i think we'll we'll get there eventually to talk a little bit more about digestion specifically but just to stay here for a moment i did want to speak to that that fight or flight i think it's really good that you mentioned that you know our body does oscillate between the two because often we hear about that sympathetic nervous system as being maybe a little bit negative like that fight or flight is what we're trying to avoid but it has some really important purposes doesn't it and particularly back in the day can you tell us more about that yeah, absolutely. Look, back in the day, like I know, I think you're referring to, you know, very paleolithic times. I say paleolithic just because it's a familiar term with, with people, but it's in ancient times. So in times when things were more dangerous or when things were more risky, it was very important for us to have a, an immediate nervous system response, which was governed by the sympathetic nervous system that would take us out of trouble, that would actually allow us to run away from our predators um, and then defend ourselves. Um, and protect ourselves or our family, and then um, move into an, an element of safety, in, in which case then we would then you know, go back to eating and having a normal existence. And so the sympathetic nervous system should be part of the nervous system that fires up from time to time to get us out of trouble. The, the reality is, is that these days we tend to have an over-activated sympathetic nervous system, as some people call that sympathetic dominant state, but what's actually happening in many people's bodies is that they're in a constant state of fight or flight. They wake up startled. They are continuously alerted, whether it be from phones or timelines, schedules, motor vehicles, horns going off, you know, bells and whistles, whatever it is, there's always something that's startling people, people using chemicals to keep themselves going, you know, in the form of either, um, healthy beverages that contain caffeine or unhealthy beverages that contain caffeine, um, eating too much sugar. A lot of people, you know, really overstimulate this component of the nervous system known as the sympathetic nervous system and then find themselves getting exhausted. 
not because they're in a state of um, adrenal fatigue, which was a term that was bandied around for the last 10 years, but really because their body's trying to settle them down and wind them down so that it can do some repair. Because if you're in a constant state of stress or fight or flight, you don't give yourself time to repair. The other part, the other thing is too, that if you're always in a sympathetic state, you're not going to mount an immune response effectively. So you're more likely to just, you know, go about your day, go about your week, go about your month and not pick up any, any sniffles or any infections. And then you get to your holiday period of time and you go away for a holiday and you rest for a couple of days and all of a sudden you get a sore throat, you come down with a cold or a flu and you're laid up for the next two weeks while you're actually meant to be holidaying on the beaches wherever you've gone to. Um, and that's, that's a really key indicator that you've been living in sympathetic dominance or a sympathetic state for a long period of time. It was relevant to get you out of trouble, but to live in it perpetually all the time becomes very challenging and dangerous for the body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about, all right, what causes this? But you mentioned so many things that we're exposed to in this day and age, whether it's, you know, work pressures or chemicals that we're exposed to in the environment or that we're consuming, you know, technology, um, you know, notifications, like the the list just goes on in, in 2018. It can really make it quite clear as to why we are seeing such a prevalence of this sympathetic dominance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, they're just the things that are recognisable. That doesn't take into consideration the effect of pollution or plastics or PCBs or um, endogenous or exogenous hormones that are, you know, are going a bit out of control. We're, we're not talking about any of those things. Just talking about the recognisable things, day-to-day life, school fees, school, school runs, Saturday sport, um, getting married, buying a house in a really difficult, you know, environment, putting food on the table for many people, should we choose um, seasonal, local, organic and whole food or can we just, you know, do with Coles um, or Woolworths? There's all these things that we're having to make decisions on and our, the, the degree of decision fatigue continues to overwhelm many people and, that, and that's because we're in an overactivated sympathetic state more, to, more often than not. Yeah. So interesting that it is a lot to do with the the kind of, world that we live in in this day and age like it's a definite reflection of 2018 i imagine the the um incident rate you know 10 or 20 years ago would have been significantly lower yeah oh for sure and it's interesting because there's a number of stressors there's key stressors in people's lives that i I suppose are are considered to be massive Uh, and so those massive things are the birth of a child um selling and moving a house um changing a job um, and so on and so forth. But many of those things revolve around finance. And and the more that we become a consumer-driven kind of marketplace and the more um, that the prices seem to go up for the cost of living and the more that um, the things that we want to access continue to push up in price, effectively, potentially, the more we actually start to stress and have anxiety about stuff. Um, and, and so as a as a consequence of having everything um, at our fingertips and so easily and so available, we, we, we actually have one of those most significant stressors in our face every single day, which is finance. And, and many people are very, you know, unsure as to where the next dollar is coming from, whether or not they're going to have enough money to make the next rental payment, et cetera, et cetera. And, or let alone, can I afford to buy a $4.50 avocado in the middle of winter? Or can I afford to be buying organic food or, 
you know, should I just buy the normal caged eggs instead of the, you know, the, the, you know, the 10 extra large organic eggs that I pay $8 for instead of $4.99 for, you know, for two dozen or whatever it is, you know? So there's, there's all this, you know, stuff that people got to make their minds up about because there's so much pressure on people at the moment. Uh, and one of the things that we have to understand is the pressure is probably not going to go away. Uh, it's probably every time you, you layer a level of pressure on you, there's going to be another level of pressure laid on you at, at another point not too far away. So we've got to find ways in which we can um, decrease the effect of the pressure or decrease the effect of stress on our nervous system um, and at the same time learn ways in which we can either you know, not get ourselves into those uh, troubles or stressors, um, simplify our life maybe, or find ways in which we can decrease the amount of stress in our, in our life as well. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure you have some amazing strategies that I will get you to share with us in a moment. I was yeah. just thinking, though, about maybe for context, some of our listeners, it would be helpful to give them some signs or what they might be noticing in their body if they are in that state of sympathetic dominance. If we maybe start from the start of the day, could you talk us through that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, uh, that's a great, great question. Um, Sympathetic, a sympathetic state uh, is is quite easy to to recognise. Um, when when we first wake up in the day, most of us will be unaware of whether or not we're in a sympathetic state, or if we're still lingering in a parasympathetic state. Hopefully, we're firing up and our cortisol levels are rising um, as we uh, come to get out of bed. Hopefully, that's the case. And and ninety nine times out of 100, that'll be the case unless someone's you know been sick or has an infection or of some sort. In which case cortisol levels should remain low. You don't want to have high levels of cortisol if you're trying to, you know, beat an infection or some kind of an illness. So um, you, would, you would expect that the body would decrease cortisol and adrenaline when it needs to let you rest so that you can actually switch into a parasympathetic mode. So we'll cover that in a second. But in the morning, we just have to assume that we're in a sympathetic state. It's not a bad thing. But what happens when we wake up will probably determine how we end the day so when we wake up in the morning if we're seeking some kind of chemical stimulation to get us going if we're seeking caffeine to wake us up or to make us alert or fire us up or notch us up a gear if we use caffeine to wake up we literally activate a sympathetic state and there's a few things that will happen one that you'll notice within about 10 minutes of consuming um, caffeine is that you'll move your bowels very quickly and and that sympathetic state is appropriate you know when you're stressed or when you've got anxiety or if you've got your sympathetic nervous system firing off and you're meant to be running away from danger to get yourself to safety which is the normal physiological response for fight or flight you, your your gastrointestinal system doesn't need to be hanging on to anything and so part of the sympathetic um, action of the body is to increase your heart rate so it should be pumping blood to the heart increase blood flow to the brain so you can retrieve short-term memory which is very important um, increase blood flow to the periphery so you can move your muscles and run fast and you should actually then warm your fingers and your toes that should actually happen um, but it will also decrease the amount of blood flow to digestion and at the same time create a dilating effect on the gastrointestinal system the gastrointestinal mucosa so that your bowels will move I mean, in some cases, some people will urinate as a result of that sympathetic, you know, rush as well. So we'll find in people that are 
in a sympathetic state, they'll need to move their bowels. Their bowels will be um, somewhat unformed. We'll also find that their um, tongue is stuck to the roof of their mouth. So, uh, you know, and people will be thinking about this right now. Their tongue is at the, at the top of their mouth as opposed to sitting down behind their bottom row of their teeth. And so that's another um, indicator of a sympathetic state. Uh, and now in, in this case where you're listening to Steph and I and you're learning stuff, you want to be in a sympathetic state. You don't want to be resting and digesting when you're trying to learn stuff. In fact, the sympathetic nervous system is absolutely perfectly geared to help you learn. So you're increasing blood flow to the brain. You're diverting blood away from the gut. You're not meant to be chewing and eating and all that sort of stuff. Um, what you will be doing, though, is actually learning and retaining information particularly if your tongue is stuck to the top of your mouth. So there's two little key indicators. The other thing that people will find when they're uh, in a sympathetic state is that they'll get fatigued at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's a blood sugar dysregulation generally associated with, um, with overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system. And then the other thing we'll find is that people will be craving things that essentially, Steph, start with C and end in E. So because crave starts with C and ends in E, uh, people that will, will crave things that start with C and N and E. So anything that start like a carbohydrate, for example, <laughs> um, or cake, mm. yeah, cake, coffee, chocolate, uh, caffeine, uh, coke, cheese, all these oh, things. Oh people <laughs> they'll be craving all of those sorts of foods uh, because of that sympathetic dominant state. Generally, if you're not in a sympathetic state, you're not going to crave those foods. If you're in a parasympathetic state which is a, a normal rest, digest mode or model uh, or phase of your day, you will be craving food that nourishes your body as opposed to foods that challenge your body. The reason why we, we crave sweet fat is because sweet fats are what actually um, enable our body to manufacture cholesterol so that we can support the function of more production of hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol. So when we crave those foods, generally... We're, we're, we're needing those, those nutrients so that our, our body can manufacture cholesterol to give the nutrients to our glands to manufacture the hormones. So it's a long string, but it's an appropriate thing. But our body's not being told. We're not, we're not properly craving chocolate. We're probably craving foods rich in magnesium. We're not craving... Um, you, you, we're not really craving cheese and all of those sorts of things. We're probably craving uh, foods that are rich in fat but maybe nuts and seeds as opposed to you know cheese and fatty things you know but not to say that you know in some cases cheese will be horrendous for your body but maybe we need to change the way in which we're interpreting what we're craving yeah that's so interesting and i, I do specifically talk about that chocolate example quite a lot because it's an interesting one right because we know that cacao is rich in magnesium, but often mm. when we have these cravings, we're not looking for a raw chocolate made on cacao, are we? The nutrients <laughs> are being no. mostly destroyed, so we're not going to get the magnesium that we're chasing in the first place. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's you know beautiful vegetable sources of um, of magnesium, such as cacao and, and our vegetable kingdom. Um, but of course our proteins are really rich in magnesium as well. You know, anything that contains muscle or that would fuel muscle contains magnesium. So it's a good thing to consider that maybe we might need some more protein with our meals uh, that we'd consumed earlier um, to assist us in, you know, shifting out or staying out of being in a sympathetic state. Yeah, for sure. 
So let's talk about two specific examples that I see a lot with my clients. And we can definitely circle back now to talking more about the parasympathetic nervous system in relation to one, digestion, which you've spoken about a little bit, but I'd like to dive in there first a little bit more, and then we'll talk about sleep. Sure, absolutely. So the parasympathetic nervous systems, um, it's a beautiful part of the nervous system in that it, it governs so much of our repair phase. It actually governs um, the, the ability of our body to recognize nutrients in our gastrointestinal system, absorb them through our gut, and then utilize them for repair at any point or any place in our body that requires repairing. So if we've had stress on our heart, for example, we've done some cardio exercise or it's been a stressful day, will require certain nutrients and it's the parasympathetic nervous system that makes those nutrients available to us. Now, whether those nutrients come in our food or whether our parasympathetic nervous system has to signal other breakdown of tissues to recycle nutrients, it will be totally dependent on the nutrient levels of your meals. Um, If you're nourishing your body well and you're nourishing your body with all the right foods, then you'll select from the food that you eat Um, the nutrients that you require. But if you don't nourish your body, you'll pull those nutrients out of your already established tissues in your body. And it's your parasympathetic nervous system that's responsible for that. And and it's a good thing because you need to be able to repair stuff. But there's only so long that you can continue to to repair by recycling. You really want to repair by nourishing, you know, preferably. But the parasympathetic nervous system brings blood to the gut and blood um, away from your periphery so you're not it it causes a vasoconstriction in the periphery so in around your fingers and your toes so that's why when you go to bed at night often you've got cold fingers and cold toes Um, and it will bring more blood to digestion um, so that you can you know really focus on pulling stuff out um, and, and, and that's primarily its its main role. It will slow the heart rate down. It will slow your breathing down. It will slow everything down, essentially, even including digestion. It slows the speed at which food moves through your gastrointestinal system so that you can absorb more. That's, that's the job of the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, so important. And I think about this in relation to you know, nutrient deficiencies that you mentioned because if the food's going through the body too quickly, as you and I spoke about before, that's quite disastrous because the transit time is as it is so that your body's got time to get the nutrients that it requires from the food. So as I always say, you are what you eat, but you are what you absorb. Even more so, absolutely. And it's interesting too because... Transit time can vary between people and, um, and really the, the optimal period of time for transit is around 12 to 24 hours. It's generally accepted that 12 to 48 hours is, a, is kind of okay, but anything beyond 48 hours is considered to be very, very tardy and very, very sluggish. I'm, I'm more of the opinion that we want to get food in and get food out and get waste out really. So we want food in, waste out very quickly within 12 to 24 hours and we should be able to, you know, um, achieve that by eating good amounts of vegetables and good amounts of proteins and good amounts of fat so that we can have um, you know a healthy existence i think that's that's an important thing to consider and what's also really important is that if food doesn't stick around in our gut for long enough we don't have enough of the fiber type so we don't have enough of the um, 
digestible fiber, we don't have enough of the indigestible fiber, and we don't have enough of the resistant starch. We don't have all of those things um, that we require to enable our bacteria or our microbiota to be healthy in our gut. So that opens up a can of worms with regards to allergies, sensitivities, um, malabsorption profiles, energy production, B vitamin production, um, and, and so on and so forth. Hence the reason why so many people are so concerned about their gut at the moment. Yeah, so much involved. And I was thinking more about, again, some of the typical presentations that I see. You know, most people will fall off their chair when you explain to them that you need to chew each mouthful of food about 20 times. Um, Yeah. And most people admit to either being on emails or scrolling Instagram, essentially (laughs) doing activities that, rev up your sympathetic nervous system while they are eating and then they wonder why they're say bloated or feeling like something's up with their gut health and i'd love to make that like connection really clear because we're so used to looking for a magic pill that we're forgetting about these foundational food behaviors yeah people are are still very caught up in the um, outside in model and it's the fault of um, our current system of healthcare that they've made us feel like our health will come from somebody else, uh, will come from the outside in. So there's the perception that we could be doing multiple things and multitasking, chewing a mouthful of food, cutting our food appropriately, still reading Facebook or the newspaper or whatever it is, um, being overstimulated, triggering centres within the brain of addiction. Um, because of screens and screen time, recreational screen time, and you know, even to the extent that um, we're triggering centres in the brain of jealousy and envy uh, is not very healthful for us. And let's face it, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, um, all of those social media, um, um, what are they called? Social media platforms, um, they're all really, I suppose, important in this day and age because that's a form of communication. However, they're generally just a showreel. They're only showing us the best stuff. Not many people put up bad stuff. And so you more now than ever before, we're comparing ourselves with the Joneses, the Smiths, the Richardsons, the Thompsons, you know. We're comparing ourselves with the Northeasts. We're we're you know, we're looking everywhere other than at our own backyard at all the things that other people are experiencing. So I went over to Europe recently, I could have popped up heaps and heaps of pictures of me being overseas in Europe. But that's not going to serve anybody if they're back home in Melbourne and it's 10 degrees and I'm basking in 35 degrees. People go, oh, that's really nice. Congratulations, Damien. But what that might also then trigger is some you know, jealousy or envy or whatever else. Maybe it might trigger some people to go, oh, I really want to do that as well. But it may not be very helpful for other people. So I think that being on uh, screens while we're trying to digest is kind of counterintuitive and counterproductive. Um, and even being on screens when we're trying to go to sleep, when we have a lot of blue light, which is what the light that comes from our screen, but having a lot of blue light flooding in through our irises um, actually will trigger off um, a sympathetic nervous system response. So we're trying to get to sleep. The last thing you want is to trigger off the sympathetic nervous system. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's definitely the other area I wanted to explore because, again, you know, in this day and age, we are exposed to a lot of things that can interfere with our sleep and it's such an important rest and repair phase for for everything like you know we're looking from you know our day-to-day health all the way up to our longevity i think 
that we've got to acknowledge what areas are not supporting sleep. And I think about the hormone cortisol again in this instance because we know it's inverse to melatonin, our sleep hormones. So, you know, if we are overactivated and maybe producing too much cortisol, then our body's not going to be able to produce that sleep hormone and the the either onset or and or sort of quality of our sleep will be impaired. So true there, Steph. And what's interesting about cortisol is it's kind of a grumpy hormone. It's the hormone that makes us agitated and frustrated. Adrenaline is really interesting because adrenaline makes us perform really, really well. You know, so, you know, you get an adrenal burst and you perform really well for short bursts of time for about 90 minutes um, continuously. But cortisol, it can also make us perform well, but it makes us agitated, but it also blocks growth hormones. And the problem with being grumpy and agitated is that we don't laugh much. And when you're not laughing as much as what you should or if you're taking yourself too seriously or, you know, life becomes quite challenging because cortisol is in such high amount in your bloodstream and serotonin is not getting a fair go and you're not laughing enough, you actually will downregulate your manufacture of melatonin. It's very, it's fascinating. And so one of the great ways to help people get to sleep and to kind of switch out of a sympathetic dominant state is to take themselves out of what I like to call a state of vagus nerve palsy. Um, and vagus nerve palsy is a state where people's gastrointestinal system is really dysfunctional. Um, they don't laugh enough. They take themselves very, very serious. They find them in a state of anxiety um, more than a state of happiness. And, uh, and one of the things that you do is you, you force yourself to laugh by watching funny things or listening to dad jokes or whatever it is. But laugh a lot and it really does a lot of, of, of benefit in switching the nervous system into a different gear. So, and so does breathing fascinatingly you know you can use breathing to switch your body into a parasympathetic state away from a sympathetic state as well yeah i love that there's some great tips there and and we use the diaphragmatic breathing technique before a meal it's something i personally try and do as often as possible because you know the reality is is i think for myself personally i'm going to be in a sympathetic nervous um, nervous system state or a sympathetic dominant state particularly around that lunchtime when it's the middle of the day and there's so much going on, I've really got to sort of draw a line in the sand and switch over into getting my body ready to digest a meal. And, you know, I don't think it needs to be sort of meditation per se, but it's about this habit maybe while you're preparing your lunch or even while you're waiting at the cafe. Like it can be really simple to integrate that, that switch so that your body is getting ready to digest the food that you're about to consume. Oh, 100%, 100%. And, um, and, and th- there's been some studies that have shown that if you do 10 deep diaphragmatic breaths before you sit down to eat, you'll digest your food better because you've switched yourself into a parasympathetic mode. And, and a great way to see whether or not you're in a parasympathetic mode is to, again, just to reflect on where your tongue position is. So I said before that if your tongue's sitting at the top of your mouth and you're in that learning state, you are in a sympathetic state. And so you, that's not the best place to be if you're trying to put food in your mouth. So you, you want to remember that in order to get things into your mouth, your tongue should be below or behind your bottom set of teeth. And, and that will enable a parasympathetic nervous system um, behavior that enables you know, true digestion and absorption at the same time. I love that. That's such a simple strategy and one we can, I'm sure everyone's sitting there trying to figure out where their tongue is positioned now, but as you said earlier, <laughs> it's all right. It's got to be the right time and place. 
Exactly. That's exactly right. The, we, when we were away on the weekend, we were away actually up in uh, in the Gold Coast on the weekend uh, at a seminar with Lawrence Tam, one of our great friends from the Wellness Couch. Um, Lawrence uh, now coaches chiropractors and he brought um, a couple in to teach us um, the power of breath and the power of breathing. And it was quite profound. They took us through some some breathing exercises that enabled us to have a really significant sympathetic response and then they took us through some breathing exercises that enabled us to have a, a rapidly um, powerful parasympathetic response you know to the point that you literally would fall asleep while you're sitting there breathing it was quite amazing so um, it, it is a very um, fascinating thing to acknowledge that breath is kind of like an instruction to the body to behave in a, in a, in a way so you know lots of deep lots of shallow breathing inwards Will, will tend to make us alert but fatigue us over time, whereas um, lots of deep breaths that are diaphragmatic and kind of almost um, you know, involving breath holds will switch us into a, a parasympathetic state and very, very relaxing and help us get to sleep. So breathing is a great thing to do as well to get your body into great shape. Yeah, awesome. Some really great tips there. So we've definitely spoken about um, some food behaviours, which I think would be really helpful. Um, the tongue, like checking out where your tongue is before you're eating or if, even if maybe you are in a stress situation, if you can make some changes there. Um, what else would you like to share from a, from a technique point of view that's really practical for us to help if we're feeling quite wound up and in that sympathetic dominant state? Great question, Steph. There's, there's so many different things that you can do. Uh, and if we remember what I said at the very, very beginning, that the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system are part of the autonomic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system in fact all of the functions within the body are governed by the brain and the brain's extension is through the spinal cord it's very important to understand where all of that's regulated and that's regulated by a little piece of the brain that sits at the base of the occiput near the first vertebrae in the in the, um, in the neck called the cerebellum and all of that's encased inside the skull but the cerebellum actually governs fine motor control um, but it also regulates our stress response. And so when we move, we trigger the cerebellum and the cerebellum is actually, it has the ability to downregulate a sympathetic stress response, which is so unbelievably powerful and so unbelievably great um, that we can harness it and access it. So there's two ways that are particularly good at accessing the, um, the cerebellum control over the sympathetic nervous system one of those is to go for a walk or a jog. Pretty simple, like go and do some movement-based exercise um, and that will trigger the cerebellar response to downregulate stress. Easy. Another really, really great thing to do is to uh, see a chiropractor. A little-known fact is that what chiropractors focus on is the nervous system. Yes, quite often chiropractors are seen to look after neck pain, headache and back pain. But the profound effects of chiropractic are registered in the brain and the control of those effects takes place through the cerebellum and it does affect the stress response. And what we've found, and science has found, particularly over in New Zealand at the Centre for Chiropractic Research, is that they've found that uh, an adjustment to the spine has profound effects on um, strength, on stress, on mood, on concentration, uh, on um, 
on retention, on memory, on focus, falls, reduce, uh, falls risk reduction, a whole host of different things that are way beyond and way outside the scope of back pain, neck pain and headache. And it's a really exciting time for chiropractic because we're now really understanding the powerful benefits of an adjustment um, to the spine. And one of those is that it can assist in the downregulation of the sympathetic stress response. And, and I think for all, all people listening to this podcast, it's a great thing to be able to add to your lifestyle uh, you know, and that is chiropractic. Yeah, I totally agree. It really is underappreciated. And I think, you know, like you said, I, I, I personally see most people looking to chiropractic when, when they are injured, but I love have the benefits that it has from a maintenance point of view. And if, you know, we've been speaking about the, the dominance and it, how connected it is to our everyday life, it's amazing that we've got this, this solution essentially at our fingertips. Absolutely. It's so easy. I mean, you've only got to look around your local community and you'll find a whole bunch of chiropractors. I think one of the confusing things is, though, for the public is to what sort of chiropractor do I go and see? And, uh, and many people um, get a bit lost there or some people go, oh, you know, I've had a bad experience with a chiropractor before. Or some people go, oh, my friend said don't go see a chiropractor because of X, Y, Z or whatever else. The reality is, is that many, um, many people have had bad, bad experiences with many different things, but they'll go back to try another practitioner or another provider. And so I'd highly recommend if you've, if you've had an experience that wasn't as good as what you wanted it to be, give it another go. But look for a family chiropractor, a chiropractor that actually looks after children, a chiropractor that looks after the nervous system, and a chiropractor that, that's concerned with well-being, not necessarily just neck pain and back pain. So, you know, select a chiropractor that on their website talks about the type of care that they provide and whether or not they use a manual technique or they use an instrument-based technique, if their primary focus is families and children and well-being and health, then they've probably got that under They've got your nervous system under control. If their primary focus is back pain, neck pain, and headache, they're less likely to be focused on other things that chiropractic can achieve, um, other than the biomechanical musculoskeletal issues that chiropractors can also deal with. Yeah, amazing. That's a really good way to look at it. I've really enjoyed this topic. I think it will be so educational to everyone tuning in. I'm sure they've learnt a number of strategies that they can try at home. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us today, Damo, before we finish up? Steph, I think there's a few things uh, really that people you know, should be mindful of when it comes to the nervous system. One is that if you're in a sympathetic state, it's fine, provided it's not all the time. Uh, and, and if you find yourself stuck in a sympathetic state, use strategies that we've just spoken about to pull yourself out of a sympathetic state from time to time. Really, the sympathetic state is really meant to take us out of fight or, or take us out of trouble, take us out of a problem. It's not meant to be always turned on. So give yourself the opportunity to fall back into parasympathetic um, you know, states throughout at different times through the day. I think that's important. Drinking water is really important. Taking time to breathe is really important. And, uh, and obviously sitting down to eat the required amount of food that you need um, is also really important. At the same time, that will nourish your body and nourish your gut. Yeah, beautiful. So powerful, I think, really practical strategies, but definitely foundational. So we've got to remember that the basics are where we get those health results. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us again, Damo. It's been awesome. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Steph. I really love being on your show. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.